Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everyone. This is Tom Hayes, and uh, my show is Upbeat. And here I am in Boston, Massachusetts, and we're speaking with That's from another show that I yeah. do every week called uh, Back to the Shooter Shack with uh, infamous club owner Rudy Garino. So if you get a chance, tune in on that. But today, we're in uh, uh, Bill. Uh, I can call you Bill. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, this morning, everybody, we have William Bernhardt, who's one of the best-selling authors of the Ben Can. Kincaid series of crime thrillers. He has over 10 million books and sold. At first I said print, but sold, which is absolutely amazing. From crime thrillers to children's books. He teaches the Red Sneaker series of books and workshops, sharing his knowledge and wisdom of what it takes to write and sell a best-selling book. Uh, If you want to see the list of awards and credits, they go on forever. His website is www.williambernhardt.com dot com that's w i l l i a m b e r n h a r d t dot com so here we go uh again i can't express my gratitude more than uh you know i found you through a serendipitous and synchronous way uh i know that uh, from from going through the red sneaker series i know you kind of uh you, you, at times you allude to the fact you don't believe in esp or a master plan but you'd have to do some convincing to uh to, to, to sway me otherwise but anyway we've connected and fantastic so tell me what i like to do first is have people tell their story uh how you went from wherever i mean your your hero's journey to the point where you're a best-selling author with over 10 million books sold. That's an amazing life. I was in Oklahoma and being possibly be not that it's not popular loved book, but it was a short walk. And that's where I fell in love with stories. And at some point around the age of that's what I want to do. I want to make up these stories and send them out and share them with people, which is a lot easier to say than actually do, as it turns out. But I started writing stuff down and started sending it out. Uh, I got my first rejection letter when I was 11. Unbelievable. Which is true. I've still got it. Unbelievable. <laughs> Highlights Magazine was not nearly as fond of my poem as I was. But I just kept uh, sending things out and writing all through high school and college. I, as I think you know, ended up going to law school because so far I hadn't published anything and, you know, <laughs> needed to be able to eat and stuff. But and eventually got some interest out there. Of course, I realize in retrospect why none of that stuff ever sold is because it wasn't very good. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Something I thought, you know, there was no red sneaker series of books and there were no seminars around my neighborhood that you could go to. And the part of the reason I do those programs is because I'm trying to, you know, make it easier for the next generation of kids who want badly to write but don't know how to go about making that happen anyway so i you know eventually got some interest and uh, my first book came in 1991 
I sometimes say, well, gosh, you were actually young and published the first book. And I said, well, it was 20 years from my first rejection letter. So, wow. <laughs> was 20 years writing stuff and kind of teaching myself how to write publishable prose. And finally, Primary Justice, which was the first Ben Kincaid, came out. And uh, it was a big hit. It did way better than... I or the publisher expected, I think, as they went back to press, uh, back to the press, more in the first three months, and came out, and I've been building on that ever since. Very, very fortunate to have the opportunity to do exactly what I always wanted to do. Wow, you, um, it's an amazing story. I mean, I just discovered you and. You know, it's one of those things where you say, wow, how come, you know, this didn't happen before? But, uh, again, from my perspective, things always happen at the right time and for all the right reasons. Right. And, you know, you, um, I, I'm so blown away, and I'll tell you from a myriad of reasons, one of them right up front. People know all my – I'm a stand-up comedian, and I'm a pretty darn good storyteller, and people have always told me I'm a great storyteller. I never understood story – until I hit the Red Sneaker series. And you, cool. you know, there's a quote that I want to throw you away. One of the reviews on uh, Amazon or either Audible was hysterical because it mirrored exactly the way I felt. <laughs> the reviewer gave you five stars and said, I hate this guy. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. To this review. I laughed because I felt the same way. I said, here I was, so so uh, sure of myself that I was this uh, great communicator, great storyteller, and uh, at the time it was just freewheeling. And all of a sudden, this guy—I think Perfecting Plot was the first book I listened to. I was ready to heave it out the window. I was so mad, you know, that I would have to work, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I would have to think, and I would have to structure. And the more I listened to you, the, the less I hated you, and the more I great, uh, began to admire you. And I just watched. So thank you. No, oh, you probably should write a book. One of my best friends, Barry Friedman, is a stand-up comic, and he's written two terrific books. Well, that's one of the reasons I found you is that. Um, I have a children's property that we've been working on for the last 10 years, and it's been an amazing journey. Oh, wow. And uh, I finally, yeah, I finally, I've created over 10 uh, audio books or um, basically skits. Uh, this world is called Beantown, a mythical world. We're, Be we're Beantown here in Boston. But uh, I finally arrived to the point I realized I have to write the novel, which I want to turn into a screenplay and get the epic movie made. So uh, that's mm -hmm. why I... I found you. It was interesting. I had purchased the book for a year. Home one night when I had made this decision to start the novel, and I put you in and heard perfecting plot. And uh, it really, it, you twisted my whole sense of uh, perception of what writing was and everything else. When I realized, wow, I've got to uh, sit down and plot this whole thing out uh, and know where I'm going. And um, so. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's so much, uh, you know, I have so many questions and everything else, but I, I mm -hmm. did, one of the books that, that came to me just before I found you was um, The Rock Journey with 
Christopher Vogler. Did you did you mention him in the uh, Red You you blipped out there for a second. Yeah, this is yeah, so we're getting a little staticky thing. Um Christopher Vogler's The Writer's Journey. Oh right, right, yes. I'm sure I did mention it. I think that's a terrific book. He's a great guy too, but he's taken all that Joseph Campbell mythos, the hero's journey, and turned it into a sort of practical, useful book for writers. Yeah, and you've you've done the same. I mean I found throughout the Red Sneaker series, well, first of all, let me, you know, I'm just, in, again, in awe of the fact that you, who have been so successful with your career and your books, took the time, and you mentioned that in the Red Sneaker series, that most really successful authors really don't want to reveal the truth about how they craft those stories. So you've taken a big, bold step here and uh, reached out. I mean, it's really magnanimous. What in altruistic what you've done? So thanks again. My pleasure. I started teaching these small group and writing treats maybe ten years ago, and really enjoyed it. I mean, really going at first love, but occasionally you need to push away from the laptop and you know interact with other human beings. <laughs> right broaden your and uh and uh and so then after doing that for a while and you know i kind of had my materials and uh it was initially somebody suggested you ought to write like a textbook for these classes and i thought i don't want to write a textbook that maybe i could you know come up with something practical and sometimes writing books i think are you know people read them as an excuse for not writing and i didn't want to become that but maybe something <laughs> right something short and to the point i could do and uh the first one was story structure which was uh, very successful so i've done more since yeah i i just into well i just finished that one and again you know the the distinctions you make between plot. Well, okay, good, you got a plot, but now you've really got to, um, you know, as you said in the book. I mean, now, you know, you have to be the architect, and you have to really get down into scenes and really, um, you know, really structure this thing. Right. People go off and plot and character to a complete them both but different but they're really not and your people say well this is a plot driven books <laughs> you've got to have a plot but if nobody cares about your character flat right and they're connected because you've got to have a character that matches the plot a plot that's right for that character so i encourage people to think of them as really the same thing two sides of the same coin instead of thinking of them as two almost completely separate entities Right. You know, I read, um, again, another book that I had in my library from Audible was, I think it's Andy Dillard's um, Bird by Bird. Oh, yeah. Terrific book. Yeah. Now, she brings out a point, and you alluded to I looked for it when I was listening to you, is that she she makes this, and I and I found this to be true so far in my journey in writing, that the characters will start to write the story. Is that true? Is Do you feel that way? Well, I sort of feel like the, when your, uh, you know, characters start to take over, as I sometimes hear people say as conferences, and my character just took a life with her. I'm like, look, you're the boss. <laughs> you're in charge of those guys. 
this is one thing, one reason you try and come up with some structure early on, at, you, you know, when you actually write things, new ideas are going to come, and, and but when you, you know, just sitting there, I'm going to wait and see what, it sounds more like people are trying to entertain themselves than do some work. And whether we like it or not, writing is hard work. If it weren't, everybody would be doing it. But to uh, make yourself sit down in that chair and apply yourself day after day so you can get something as long as a book finished, uh, that's work. And you got to take it seriously and not just be indulging yourself. You know, that's a, an, a, an extremely... Um... You know, and you make that point because you're right. Once you get immersed, you're, something comes along, uh, whether that's the muse or, or or whatever the characters. And you're right; you start to float off into this uh, crazy world, and uh, it gets pretty entertaining. But you're right. I mean, what I'm finding, and this is why I feel I found you at this time, is because you could just go way off track. You know, yeah, and but in it, the structure will bring you back. Well, that's exactly that. That gives you a framework for your creativity instead of just you know having stuff popping all over the place, and that's fun, but it never really adds up to something. You know, you think about it in advance. You do your outline. You think about putting your plot points in the right order, and that gives you a framework for, for creativity. It makes it useful creativity. The muse still speaks and you still come up with new and fresh ideas, but in a purposeful way rather than a more random way. Interesting. You know, I, again, I never, um, <laughs> not only have you taught me about story, but you teach in that series. I, you know, have been reading spiritual books my entire life because uh, at the age of 13, I lost my leg to cancer and I had the disease I had osteosarcoma in those days, there was no chemotherapy. So only uh, if a hundred kids got that disease, uh, 95 died. So I kind of felt that, yeah, I believe in miracles and other things. And I've had those experiences and, but you've taught me, uh, I tell to all my spiritual friends, you know, we talk about shared books, Alan Watts and things. And I said, listen, you have to listen to the Red Sneaker series because William Bernhardt has got it down on what life is and what story is. And, you know, when we talked about uh, Vogler's book and Joseph Campbell, we all have a hero's journey. And you made me realize right away that when you said, listen, you've got a heap you know, and put as much adversity on your character right up front. You can't right. make it. Nobody wants to read a book where life is fluff and fun. And, <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> and then the statement, I had to ask you this. The statement you made was people say, well, you've got to bottom out before you can turn around. And you, you said, right. no, 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 no. There is no bottom. There is no, there is no limit to the amount of bottom that life can hand you. So, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, that here in recovery circles and whatnot is, you know, that you don't get better until you hit rock bottom. Uh, you know, what's rock bottom? I don't think there's any end of badness the universe is capable of handing out. You just got to turn things around. And that's relevant to uh, writing as well. I did a book called Dark Eye, which involved uh, 
who's going through a tough time in her life. She's uh, lost someone. She's drinking hard. She's uh, doing everything wrong, basically. And this is challenging because, you know, if your your character isn't at least like a teeny-weeny bit likable, <laughs> to put the book down. And she was in a bad way when the book started. What I was, you know, the way I would address it was, okay, she's really messing up, but she knows it. You know, deep down, she knows it, and she's going to start struggling. And that creates conflict. You know, somebody's struggling, somebody's fighting to overcome a problem or to heal or to do better. That's something everybody can relate to. Even if you haven't had that specific problem, everybody's had tough times in their lives uh, just about, I think. And so that was something, even if the reader didn't sympathize with her, they could empathize with that struggle. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I just ordered the book because I want, I want the actual physical hard cover in my hand because I want to, see what you did through that book to, to um, actually play out all of the principles you put down in the Red Sneaker series. And so they gave me a sample right away, and I read into it. Man, you lay it on hard and fast. <laughs> you know, That book starts off with an amazing opening scene with a barroom fight, and then um, all of a sudden, ma'am, she finds out she loses her niece, um, she's got to go. She realized her friends telling her that she's an alcoholic. And so, yeah, th- this hero has a mount. You, you lay on the mountain real fast, real hard. And I think that's right. what's gripping about that story. Good. Well, that's, uh, I've heard me that they found the character as horrible as she is at the beginning of the book under inspirational because you know she struggles and fights and eventually brings her and it doesn't happen overnight too but eventually gets to a better place and and i can see where that's a positive positive model uh you know i, I something you mentioned earlier when you're talking about first spiritual stuff and serendipity i'm also a big believer in you alluded a second ago were you saying are you listening to the red sneaker books on audiobook Yes, I am. Yeah, see, you know, let me explain to you why that happened. <laughs> why you wrote <laughs> the audio book with my voice. Because I'd written the books, but hadn't done audio books. I didn't even realize that uh, out there some authors are recording their own audio books now. It's something that the digital revolution has happened. You know, audio books are vastly more popular than they've been in the past because people can just download them. You don't need CDs or cassette tapes or any of that stuff that makes it expensive. It doesn't need to be shipped to the bookstore. They just download it straight to their phone or iPod or whatever and listen to it in the car. Uh, but a few years ago, I met a wonderful woman named Laura, who's now my wife, by the way. Oh, well, congratulations. Thank you. She's an audiobook narrator. She had her own studio. She's doing this professionally. And I was doing this book, <laughs> books, and I thought, well, heck, maybe I could do that. <laughs> and she showed me how to do this stuff, and I just sat down and started you know, I wouldn't want to do, I'm going to leave all the drama to her. She's an actress. She's good at it. But these books on writing, which are basically expansions of talks I've given in the past, I thought, well, I can do that. And so I started recording those. And it's been, you know, something I didn't even anticipate when I started writing the book has turned out to be extremely popular. Like, you know, you found it. And in fact, that 
the audio books now outsell the print books. <laughs> oh yeah, well there's nothing you you can't you 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 know your voice and your inflection and your you know your sense of humor um you know adds a dimension that you could never get from print. So I recommend yeah. them, you know and I just want to plug it again here. I want to tell everybody that uh it, it, whether you ever write or not if you will listen to the red <clears throat> excuse me the red sneakers series you will understand life and see life in a perspective that you on a layer that you never knew existed you will understand what a story is and what it takes to have a good story and the the part about adversity is that in everybody's life rather than you know and i had to do this with myself rather than starting to feel sorry for yourself understand that no matter what adversity comes your way it's a, in a sense a blessing in that it forms your character and that's what you say throughout all of these works yeah that's interesting i'm glad you got that so anyway you know just because of this happy meeting and people getting together, it ended up opening a whole new channel. And I'd been writing for, what, probably 25 years at that point, but there's always new things to explore. That's one of the things I like about writing. I don't know everything there is to know about it. I'm learning new stuff. all. I don't think anybody does. I'm learning new stuff all the time, and but that makes it interesting. Yeah, without a doubt, I think, uh, you know, and again, to you know, because we're all busy, if we, we have any sense of creativity or purpose, you know, we, the, you know, the days and the hours and the minutes fill up. And one of the biggest challenges about writing is to have that discipline that you talk about to uh, sit down every day and stick with it, because that's the only way you're going to achieve that. So the, when you listen, when I can put you in my car, you know, just bring in, you know, the magic of this technology, I put my, you're on my phone. As soon as I get in my car, the Bluetooth picks it up, and I hit a button, and I'm listening to you driving up uh, Route 95. Right, right. That's that's amazing. As the sales started picking up, I start looking around and you know see, see people in their cars. I can tell they're listening to something. I think, is it me? Are they listening to my voice? <laughs> Probably not, but still, it's fun to think about. Well, they are, and. Uh, I can't be. Uh, I, I get more of a. I'm a true fan. I, I'm not a. Uh, I I don't read a lot of fiction. I read mostly nonfiction. But I tell you, I, I'm I'm totally. Dark Eye has caught my attention, and um, so much to learn from all of this. You know, I'm 68 years old, and you you know, it's just what you said. We, we we never stop learning, and you are a master teacher. And thank um, you. Yeah, well, no, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, one of the other things, so the, the adversity component to life, which is what we all feel with, but everybody <laughs> everybody doesn't see it the way that you explain it, that here's here's something to form your character. And yeah. the other thing that I found your fabulous insight is about conflict, that right. it's just not going to go away. When we, people rail and scream and protest against this person, that person, et cetera. And you realize that's part of the story, isn't it? Oh, it's essential. Without conflict, there is no story. That's what stories are. It's, I think I say in one of those books, what sound is to music, conflict is to story. Yep. You can't have one without the other. I've had students come into my writing retreats and 
you know, we'll be talking about this and I hear somebody say, Oh, I don't like conflict. I, I, you know, I, 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 you know, and I'm like, you are in the wrong business now. <laughs> As, or aspiring to the wrong business. What you were alluding to a minute ago and it, it's absolutely right. We are in the uh, business of heaping badness on our protagonists. And, and often that does go against the grain because most writers and aspiring writers are pretty nice people with good hearts. That's why they want to do this. They want to share their ideas and stories with others. And it goes against the grain to keep making things bad, bad, worse, worse, <laughs> even worse. But that's pretty much how you structure your story. It gets worse and worse and worse and even dramatically worse until finally everything's resolved in the, in the climax. Well, and again, um, you know, just to listen to your story, you you end up, uh, you know, marrying a woman who's an actress and a voiceover artist, and then you right. get turned. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I do believe in a master plan. I do believe that there is a grand story. I think we all have our own story, and um, you know, the fact that we're doing this right now to me is part of that story. And um, so I started to. You know, again, from years of reading people like Alan Watts, name it, and he's, you know, Wayne Dyer, et cetera. And then you come along and you're basically teaching a craft, you know, how do we write? And yet right. the truths that you reveal about life itself are fabulous. And that's why I'm a big proponent to anybody. I say, listen, if you really want to learn about life, listen to William Bernhardt in his Red Sneaker series, because you'll start to look at somebody in your life that's giving you conflict and you will look at it as I have in the past few weeks as instead of, you know, damn them. And you make this point that no villain, he says, if you really want to create a great villain, you have to understand he's not all bad. Yeah. Nobody thinks they're the bad guy in their story, right? In real life, much less in fiction. Everybody thinks they're the hero. Everybody has some, motivation for whatever they're doing even if it seems misguided to us and to me the challenge of creating a really good antagonist the bad guy is why is he or she doing this kind of the is either or mean you know real reason exactly actors behind some of the most vile acts of history Bombing Pearl Harbor, 9-11. The people who did those things thought they were heroes in their story. Yep. Yep. And you you say that, you know, in the other part that, again, I mean, it's it's like you lifted a veil for me with so many um, things about life. You know, why this doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Why is there the conflict? Why is there this villain? Why is this evil person? Why is there good and bad? And then you, you come in and the, the truth is there is no clear line between good and bad, uh, evil and, and good. In that book you mentioned a minute ago, Dark Eye, the one with Susan Pulaski, the woman, the police psychologist who's going through all the trouble. I really enjoyed creating her antagonist, the bad guy, we'll call him Edgar, because again, Edgar doesn't think he's the bad guy. He's doing all this crazy, violent (laughs) stuff, but he's got a reason. Yep, he wants to protect us. Go ahead. 
Yeah, he wants to protect yeah. the the world from evil. <laughs> exactly. He's taken us all to dreamland, by gosh. He's found the mystical text with all the answers and and to me that's a more interesting bad guy than some kind of, you know, uh, somebody who's just bad. Well, you, I you know, know again with with that, I mean, you cut like a surgeon uh, to me in that you start to reveal what's, you know, we look at the outside of the body and you start to cut in uh again it's just brilliant i mean i've read you know the best of of uh, spiritual writers for years and a lot of the principles but you through this real clear analysis of what life is what a story is what every story is including everybody's human story you say look you know uh, that person in your life that adversity that came your way that that person in your life although that ideology or whatever that you're in conflict with if you're really going to be able to handle that and master that you have to understand what it really is and it's not black and white that there is a layer beneath what's happening that's very real and if you're going once you have that understanding you go oh this is just part of the story (laughs) yeah right makes it harder in real life to uh, you know, really hate people or even mm-hmm. be mad at them very long. When you start to think, okay, why is he doing that? Why does she behave in that manner? It's usually not that hard to f- figure out if you're paying attention. And once you're thinking of it in those terms, then you know everybody becomes much more comprehensible, which I think would be a a good thing in real life if we stop demonizing and creating villains and try to understand other people's perspectives. Well, again, that's, that's what you've done for me. And that's what I, why I, again, I sell your books. I, I tell people, listen, if you really Great. If you want to get, if you want to reach peace, if you want to reach a level of understanding, listen to William Bernhardt, listen to the red sneaker series, whether you ever write a book or not, because you will see the structure between all of the stories, including your own. And when you, when you understand that somebody's got an agenda and they truly believe that their agenda is right, you start to not only understand how that affects you, but you understand it's the, it's the, entry, it's the threshold to empathy. Yes, yeah, very good way of putting it. I agree with that. Um. Well, I've enjoyed doing those books, and I appreciate uh, you spreading the word. Yeah, I uh, I did the the sixth one this year on premise, and uh, I guess going to do another one next year. So it just keeps going. Fantastic! I just finished premise as well, and uh, you know, I, I, I like I said, you know, can can you talk a little bit about agenda conflict? I mean that. There's mm-hmm. another layer that I wasn't aware of, but, you know, well, I know you start, go, go ahead. Yeah, that's kind of the conflicts between protagonists and antagonists and trying to understand them that, you know, it's not so much that somebody's just evil, there's born bad, which occasionally happens, but that's the exception, not the rule. But instead, that there's, to borrow a term from psychiatry, agenda conflict. Different people want different things. And it's not that one goal is necessarily better than the other. They just have different agendas. And 
they are mutually exclusive. Of course, in a book, we always tend to favor the protagonist, no matter who they are, even if they're horrible people. We, <laughs> right. That's the way we're, we're trained as readers. We're, we side with the protagonist so that, uh, you know, and we want to see the protagonist succeed at the end. But if you understand conflict in that in those terms, in ter- you know, two groups of people who want different things, I think it makes it more interesting. I think it makes the story richer than if you have these, uh, you know, more black and white doers who don't really reflect what's going on in the real world. No, exactly. And I think, again, what it opened the door for me is, you know, everybody wants this, you know, especially in your relationships, if it's your significant other or whatever, you you, you have this <laughs> idealized notion, oh, we're all going to be on the same page. We're all going to have the same agenda. Well, that's not, you made it clear in your writings that that is not going to happen. Even no matter yeah. how much you love each other and everything else, and maybe your main objectives and goals are, if you're blessed, you'll have the same agenda, but everybody is going to have a different agenda. And you, and if you're, you know, at least a little bit of awake and you understand that that agenda is real to them, that you're going to honor that and understand when the conflict comes along. That's right. Don't you wish there was more of that kind of thinking in the political world today where we get so much people saying, here's my position. And those people on the other side are big, fat, stupid heads, basically, who yep. <laughs> yep. can't see the light. Yep. <laughs> Wouldn't the discourse be richer if we instead said, okay, I understand you're coming from a different place, uh, but we kind of want the best, the same thing here, so maybe you can work out some kind of best compromise instead of calling each other names and impugning one another's motivations and whatnot. Uh, I think well, that you've taken leave. well. That's the beauty of the Red Sneaker series, is you very decisively and cl- you know, very clearly you take away that black and white in and say to people, hey, <clears throat> it is not black and white. At least not time, and I think these are more profound and in or probably that as well. Yeah, right. I haven't, uh, outside of your books, I haven't, you know, I've done historical novel, like this is based on a incident, and I have a book coming out later this year that's set in the Dust Bowl area back in Oklahoma, which is more or less the same time as just Nemesis is set in Cleveland in 1935 with Elliot Ness. It's a mystery, which is historical, you know, it is a fact, but... I spent a couple of years researching it with my solution of mystery, which I believe is correct, by the way. Uh-huh. <laughs> that became the basis for a novel, but I still in dialogue and, and uh, whatnot to bring it alive, but based on a coincidence. So, no, it's You know, I, uh, I, again, I, you know, I, I I'm, I'm, if you've shifted, uh, you know, every once in a while, you know, they talk about a paradigm shift and that's, you know, and you've not only helped me in the construction of my, this particular book that I want to write, but now when I watch a movie, I read a book, I'm looking for the principles underneath 
And, you know, I right. see in a good movie, right? I can't look at a movie now the same way that uh, I did before I'm analyzing. And trying That's to absolutely decide, right. Yeah, trying to decide why That's, this is a good story. Yeah, let's say if you talk to some of your, you know, best known fiction writers, ask them what they read and if they're, you know, really telling them uh, take the reason there are a lot of reasons, but one of them is that they're so conscious of what the author is doing when they read other people's fiction that it almost sucks some of the fun out of it. <laughs> the author plants some character point or plot point or whatever, and you're thinking, oh, I know what he's going to do. I know what he's, that's going to be important. Later. And this is not fun anymore. Get the book on character. Get the book on character. I before I go, I list how aesthetic done. Ultimately, you hope the characters, uh, the char- the reader will find something more profound to relate to or empathize with. But what about early on? You don't want people to uh, become disinterested in the first five, ten pages. So I've got my short list of quick ways to build some reader sympathy. But I warn people in the book before, you know, that once you've read this list, you're going to see them everywhere. Every time you turn on a movie, you're going to think, oh, I know why they're doing that. And they'll probably ruin every movie for you for the end of time. <laughs> <laughs> As a writer, you need to be conscious of these things. Why, is, why are they, uh, you know, having the character stop for 10 seconds and help the elderly woman put her luggage up on the overhead bin on the airplane? Or why does the main character stop and, they get that football that's rolled out in the street because the kids are playing and, and throw the ball back to the kids. They're just like quick shorthand ways of building up sympathy. You see something like that and think, oh, he's a nice guy. I like it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, um, you know, I just rewatched the uh, Casino Royale and um, mm-hmm. Quantum Solace, the James Bond uh, mm-hmm. franchise. And <clears throat> again, now that I'm armed with the principles you've instilled, I mean, you know, you, you've ruined my life, William. <laughs> Sorry about that. We can enrich that book you're working on. Yeah. Well, you know, and well, that's the other thing. I was rolling along. I was so proud of myself. I was writing, um, and I, I think this is why this is a pivotal program that we're doing for people is that, you know, as, as great as it is to hear you talk about the principles, I think of a program like this where somebody who is aspiring to be a writer uh, sits and says, you know, we can have a discourse, we can have a dialogue about some of the things that are going on. And so I was sitting down and just freewheeling and, you know, it was a great story. I was patting myself on the back. I had some beautiful passages Mm -hmm. come out descriptive and say, boy, I'm fantastic. And then you come along and I go, "Ah!" you know, Wait a minute. <laughs> Sorry. You know, uh, this is this is a fun story to me, but I'm not making it as compelling as it can be. And so that's when the whole thing of the adversity and the conflict and I had to and I'm dead in my tracks here right now. And for an important reason, because I am building uh, the structure. But, yeah, I mean, what they do to you start to understand when you're armed with these tools, you see why bond is goes through so much adversity up front. Right, right. Well, and even that opening scene in Casino Royale, which I think is brilliant, where he kind of 
uh, overreacts, I guess, <laughs> and yeah. gets in trouble with the boss. But at the same time, he does kind of accomplish his mission, <laughs> which we <Yeah>. admire. <laughs> well, so yeah, and, he's kind and, of likable in a rogue, you know, uh, rule breaker, doesn't answer to the man way. He's still already, you know, sympathetic. We like him. Well, yeah, and you know, again, because of the tools you've given me, and I'm going to pitch it again, folks, you know, with the people who listen to this podcast, get the series. You will just see life. You will see movie. You'll see everything in a way that you never did before. And you start to, you know, so, okay. So I've seen Casino Royale two, two nights ago, but I'm still thinking about, wow, he had, um, he had a gender conflict. He had, Mm-hmm. Uh, the characters arc. I never under, never even heard these terms until I listened to you. Character arc. You know, here's a guy. He's struggling with his own addictions. He's he's you know portrayed. He wants to keep this image that he's uh, this big lover who who does doesn't get involved emotionally with his um, sexual relations. And all of a sudden, you know, he, he meets Vesper, and it's all over for him. Right. And you're right. He's, right. he's got the He's got. He's not only got conflict with the, the 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 bad guys. He's got conflict with his boss. Mm-hmm. He's got yeah. conflict with Vesper. He's got this. And and all of these things take you know. And before you would just say, oh, "What a great movie," but you didn't understand why it was a great movie. Right. right. You expose those things. Yeah. Another interesting la- layer to that, if you go back to the original Ian Fleming books which I think actually hold up very well. Read the first one of those, Casino Royale, and there's a part in there where Bond says, probably to Vesper, uh, is you know all this pretentiousness about champagne and tailored clothes and food and whatnot. Uh, he says, I'm just covering up the fact that I'm so boring. <laughs> And my life is so boring. Well, you're never going to hear that in a movie. That was, that's not the way to sell tickets. Talk about how boring you are. Exactly. But it was an interesting dimension in the very first book. Huh. Uh, huh. Uh, the subsequent books, I think, developed the theme of him being basically the poor kid from Scotland who didn't grow up as you know in the estate with lords and ladies, but now he's in. You know, he's in uh, MI6, uh, basically, and and all the people are more uh, hoity-toity, and most of them are well-connected aristocrat types. And uh, he he wants to be one of the gang, not the poor kid outsider. And so he wears the clothes and learned how to do all this, uh, you know, vodka martini, shaken, not stirred kind of stuff. Right, right. Well, you know, um, the Walt Disney documentary was just on PBS. And yeah, was, we watched that. Yeah, wasn't that brilliant? Mm, absolutely. And But again, you were in my head. <laughs> because when I saw, when they got to the part about Bambi, mm-hmm. and I went, man, and they said, you know, the commentator said, that was brilliant and bold storytelling. Mm-hmm. Because what did he do? He did exactly what you define as a great story. He heaped on, you know, adversity right up, right in the beginning. Poor Bambi, he loses his mother. Right. You know, and expected to see in a. Uh, 
Oh, I lost you for a second there. I was, I get to uh, I was saying that, oh. yeah, that traumatic loss of a parent is not something you expected to see in an animated film, but there it was. Yep. Yep. And, and you know, and he made history with that because everybody, you know, that, and, you know, it was, I think what, what, you know, amazing authors like you do, and obviously amazing storytellers like Walt Disney was, you know, and they alluded to it in the documentary. I mean, he burned, he's burned into the psyche of the American people. I mean, everybody knows about Bambi, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and now, I mean, he took that bold move. And, and even with Snow White, he said, listen, we can make them laugh. We know that. He says, but can we make them cry? Right, right, absolutely. Yes, he was one of the two, uh, maybe two film geniuses, I think. And what came across to me in that documentary was so remarkable was that, you know, most people we call geniuses are great artists that we study have one really good idea. <laughs> you know, yeah. one really yeah. good thing that ends out. This had at least two. Yeah. <laughs> Not only invented the full-length animated film and made, let's say, five that are just beautiful pieces of art, and then a few years later he invents the theme park, which yeah. is also revolutionary and hugely successful. Yeah, he was he was possessed. I mean, this, how else can you say that? He just that man. You know, the visions he had. Yeah. Uh, well, imagine you know, if he had lived enough. I'm sorry. Imagine oh. if he had lived another ten years and gotten to actually make Epcot an experimental prototype community of the future. Unfortunately, he passed away too soon, and Epcot became sort of a World's Fairy theme park. But right, <laughs> right. Imagine exactly. if he really got to fill oh. that dream. Oh, you know, and he was. Yeah, and it was obvious he was so. Um, in tune with the, not only with the art, but he was in tune with the technology. And, um, yeah. you know, you can see where we are today. And he, he was already, he already saw that in his head. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, he and, understood story and he hadn't even read my books. I don't think that's clearly an example of someone who just instinctively got story. Yep. how to put things in the right places, how to make characters empathetic. They talked about how he would just act out the whole movie for people, and he wasn't thinking inciting incident, plot point one, act one, no. act two, climax. He just had it in his head instinctively, which is one of the signs of genius, I think. Absolutely. Well, and you know, you make it so clear, and again, I'm going to pitch it, folks, the, the series, the Red Sneaker series by William Bernhardt, and you, through your analysis and through your, you know, the, your course, you say, look at this is what made great stories from, you know, Beowulf, from Geogelgood right. to, you know, the the Odyssey. This is all of these right. elements are in every single story. Well, it's that emotional response that you were referring to earlier. Sometimes in my uh, retreats and small groups writing workshops, I'll ask people to list, what are your three favorite books of all time? Anybody listening to this, you can start thinking right now, what are your three favorite books of all time? You can probably think of a million that you liked, but what are your three absolute favorites? You know, the ones that you maybe have read and reread and reread, or you keep a copy next to your word processor to inspire you. And when people think hard and pare it down to three and come up with a list, they can usually 
look at them and see some things in common. Mm-hmm. One, uh, you know, which on one point will kind of in what they're trying to do in their own book that they're working on. They may not be conscious of it, but they may be trying to create kind of the same effect. And if they're more aware of what it is they're trying to do, of course, they're more likely to bring it up. And the other thing people almost so see when they look at their list of aggressive, it shows some kind of emotional. It was beginning with something that made them cry, made them feel inspired, made them feel had enriching, cathartic experience. You know, they've been with the protagonist through all this awfulness that the author heaped on them, but at, but at the end, perhaps, they triumphed, and uh, the reader feels like, like they've learned from the experience, even though it didn't really actually happen to them. <laughs> There's That's some right. kind of positive emotional takeaway, and if you can then understand that and put that into your own book, which is a lot easier to talk about than to do. But if you can bring it up, bring it off, you're going to have a, a book that is uh, re- that readers really respond to. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he and he made it clear that was. Uh, I had you know my epiphany with uh, um, something. You know, I, I was in sales for years and sales management, sales training, and. Um, and obviously, I, I, I'm an also an inspirational speaker because I've got a story to tell. And when I saw Ratatouille, I realized that I was getting <laughs> a feeling very similar to this feeling. I went way back to when I was about five years old and saw Snow White for the first time. And I was realizing I was getting the same kind of feeling. I mean, because the art, the lighting, the story, etc., you know, a Disney it had that Disney quality to it that, and so there was, because, because I bought the DVD, there were some extras and I, they interviewed both the restaurateur and the animator. And they said, what are you trying to accomplish? And they both said the same thing in two different scenarios. The restaurateur said, I'm trying to give the patron, I'm trying to give my patrons, I'm trying to make an emotional connection with my patrons yeah. to give them a feeling. Right. And the animator said the same. And when I saw Fantasia, I, I, I had the DVD, there was an extra there where they asked Walt Disney that question, and we saw it exposed in the documentary to make that mm-hmm. emotional connection, right. to give them a feeling right. that only you can give them. No, that's key. I mean, you mentioned Beowulf a minute ago. If you look back, all the oldest stuff that has survived – Beowulf, Gilgamesh, the Iliad, the Odyssey, you know, they're all works of large heroic fiction with great heroic figures who can do things we don't, who struggle against adversity but triumph in the end. And I think there's a reason for that. We love those kinds of stories. They inspire us. You read something like that and think, wow, I'd like to do something like that. Or I'd like to think that I would respond in that way, if I had the opportunity, but whether I do or I don't, there's something inspiring about reading about it. It's a positive experience. I mean, we've still got this going on today. Did you see the Avengers? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I did. I mean, that's really the same thing in modern dress. What is Hawkeye except Robin Hood, basically? And what is Iron Man except a knight in shining armor? Right. And uh, Thor is right out of Norse mythology, of course. So it's really that same idea of 
heroic fiction that we love produces an emotional response. You know, I, I thought that was just going to be kind of a superficial, you know, shoot them up, bang, bang, you know, without much depth. But you're right. That was extremely well done and extremely well acted. Yep. Yep. You know, and again, you know here, here they are fighting for the same thing, but then, you know, William Bernhardt comes in in the middle of it, and I say, well, look at uh, Iron Man. He's, uh, he's got a different invention. Now, we not only have conflict against the bad guys, but, you know, they did it, crafted it so beautifully. Now, Iron Man's got conflict with the entire team. <laughs> yes, well, that just makes it better. More keep piling on the conflict in the, in that book on plot that I know you've read. Uh, I talk about the different li- la- layers of conflict: inner conflict, personal conflict, and external. And usually, the richer, most satisfying works are going to have all three. So, yes, the Avengers are fighting the bad guy, the external threat, the runaway robot. But there's also conflict amongst themselves. That's the personal conflict. And Iron Man is experiencing some doubts. That's his inner conflict. And that just makes the whole story richer. Well, you know, you've obviously altered the course, um, you know, uh, of my life. And you're doing that with so many other people who who have the courage and the, you know, the attention span to jump into your red sneaker series. Um, and so I now look at my life, you've added, you've, you know, you've pulled again, pulled back the veil and I see so many things so much clearer now. Well, boy, I'm in conflict with this person. And before it was like, I hate them or I'm angry with them or this and that. Now I can step back and go, Hey, what's really going on here? Do you do the same thing with your life now that you've, kind of understood story do you see your life as a story absolutely i think that way of looking at things is really positive because it's really easy to get overwhelmed in life and all this stuff is happening and sometimes it seems random and purposeless and you know uh, what's the point of all this but if you start breaking it in terms of story like the one i just told about my wife uh this happened for a reason this led to that it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for some adversity in the years before. Uh, that gives it a structure that often people don't see in life and you know, kind of transforms it from being meaningless and meaningful. I also think this business of trying to understand other people's motives instead of saying, oh, they're, they're whatever, but try and understand where they're coming from you know, what's motivating them, why they're doing the things that do, actually make it a lot easier to not only get along with people, but to reach some kind of consensus instead of just name-calling and being bitter and nasty toward one another. Right. It is not, you know, as we said before, it's not black and white, but you're right. You you start to see, I love, I'm a big fan of Steve Jobs for a myriad of reasons, but Mm -hmm. one of the things he... He talked about in that speech, that commencement address he gave to Stanford. Right. He says, "You will never know where the you will never see the dots in your life going forward. You will never be able to stand here and be able to figure them out. When you get to a, a certain point in your life, you'll look back and you'll see how all of the dots connect. And so you, we do start to see our story when you do turn around and look back, and why it took the course right. and why it got to where it is today." Yeah, I agree with that totally. You know, and and you really, you know, I've 
again, through a series of events in my life and readings and blah, 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 it's all story, isn't it? I mean, that's really what this is, is one big story, our story. Exactly. I couldn't say it better. I think that's exactly right. And you also start to notice how we're all interconnected to one another, how our stories interweave. It really is our story, not a story, because we're all a whole lot more alike than we are different. And we're all, in some way or another, a part of everybody else. And there's a lot more unity than division when you look at it the right way. <laughs> exactly. And that's, you're right. All of the stories, all of the characters, you know, even this connection today that you and I, and hopefully, you know, I'm going to push this uh, podcast because I think, you know, I really believe in what we're doing. And when you can start to say to people, hey, look below the surface, don't take what's, don't take the, the movie, your personal movie. And, and, you know, as I used to just say, oh, what a great movie and not know why it was a great movie and not see why the Iron Man is all of a sudden fighting within and his gender and his doubts. And, and you start to say, well, this is me. This is what happens to all of us. We all are struggling. We all have adversity, but instead of looking at the adversity as, you know, as simply a curse that all oh, life sucks. And, you know, why did I have to get this? You start to say, wow, you know, here's a challenge that I can do if I choose. I can do all of those heroic things that those other heroes have done. And what a story mm -hmm. we can be crafted from this setback. I agree. There are some people out there doing amazing things, some of them in big ways, some of them in small ways, but they all matter and they all take us forward. There are well, all those dot, I, dot, dots Jobs is talking about. Right. Well, and I read, you know, a little bit, um, you know, on the backstory of, um, uh, I just drew a blank on that, the, the novel that I, oh, Dark Eyes. And I see mm -hmm. that, you know, you, you, you know, you incorporated a personal um, tragedy or a personal sense of adversity in your life. And that's kind of what compelled you to, to write that book. Yeah. Well, I think most people, and this thing we talk about in seminars, to get people to see, but who's most people's protagonists? Themselves, of course. Who else do you right. know that well? Right. <laughs> right. The, exactly. Uh, glamorized version of themselves, a version of themselves with some superpower. You know, great ability, but basically themselves, and they tend to set it where they live, and often that works, but often it's not necessarily the best approach. The, the better idea is to take those experiences and convert them into something that's going to be interesting to other people. You probably heard people say, you know, there's no bad stuff for a writer. You're just going to use it later. <laughs> yeah, that's there's true. There's a lot of truth to that. You, you get to know something well, whether it's good or bad, but probably more likely bad, because that tends to stick with us, unfortunately. You're going to use that. So it's all grist for the writer, particularly somebody who's doing the work and writing every day and working consistently. That's one of the positive things about this work. Well, you know, I again certain phrases and, and cliches, et cetera, but you really hit me in the heart with uh, your statement and never give up. 
Right. That's the only way people, you know, I, again, I talk to conferences and writers a bunch and, uh, the people, you know, talent's a nice thing to have, but it's honestly not that unusual. And I think talent really product of how much time people have put into it. Usually nobody's, you know, despite as much you might've heard, I don't think there are any Mozarts of writing. It's how much time have you put into it? How much, you know, how many, you got about a million words of junk. And once you get that out of your system, you're probably writing pretty good. But what I see is the people who end up successful, get published, find an audience, are the people who don't give up. They just persevere. They tough that out, even though they get rejected the first hundred times they send something out. And nobody likes the first three novels they wrote that they thought were brilliant. Ken Follett wrote 10 complete novels, for Pete's sake, before he published anything. But, man, that 11th book was really good. Eye <laughs> yeah, yeah. of the Needle. And it took off. Uh, it's the people who tough it out who end up being successful. I remember being in a, a college fiction writing class, which was great fun because the people in there were so talented. And they'd read their work, and I would sit there and think, I am the worst writer in this class. <laughs> <laughs> and I probably was, honestly. But, you know, now they didn't get published. I did, and I, I don't think that has anything to do with uh, I don't think it has anything to do with talent. I think I just wanted it more. And consequently, I was writing and writing and writing, and eventually something clicked. And it was published. Uh, you know, there's always an element of good luck, but you've got to be doing the work, too, or that good luck doesn't happen. Exactly. It doesn't happen. You get published when you got the right book, place, at the right time, and that's when the magic happens. But first, you've got to have that book written. Right. You know, I... I, uh, it's so true. And I, I mean, I comparing it to stand up comedy. I mean, that was just, I'm talking about her Herculean effort, you know, trying to climb Olympus. It was, you know, and with, and, and like, you know, maybe someday I'll do what you did for, uh, the writers of the world and try to quantify that. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know it can, it can, you can only do so much. I mean, what you've done with the thing is you've given me an amazing roadmap, but I've got to sit down and Good. sort it out myself. And, and it's it, like it you've got take... a powerful, inspirational book in you that needs to come out. Right, right. And I've and I've been blessed by through a series of serendipitous events. I've got this crazy wild character in his. Uh, sidekick who are hysterical we've completed 10 10 hours of comedy albums on them and it's just you know i can stand back as the observer and know that it's brilliant brilliant stuff because of the magic that happened between us and so he is i can express all of my philosophies and experiences through him and um yeah it's it's uh you know i one of the things that fell into my hand was um Natalie Goldberg's book, which I love, uh, the um, writing down the bones. I don't know that one. Oh, it's a, it's. I, I recommend it to everybody who, whether they're serious about writing a novel or, or anything, but just the, the the and maybe we can touch on this a little bit. The healing um, aspects to writing. I mean, I found that just it's to me it's better than meditation. That 
just sitting down and randomly. And she said in the book, you've got to get, <laughs> she said, you got to write down all the shit. Like you just said, you got to write all the bad stuff. You got to write all of the junk out before the good stuff. But she said her whole yeah. thing was write every single day to find your voice. Yes, I think that's true too. Um, everybody, sometimes people aren't aware of it, but they they do have a distinctive voice, but not at first. It takes some refining and getting where you want to go and finding out what seems to work for you. Some people's strength, uh, you know, is one kind of scene. Some people are really strong with dialogue, so of course they write more of it. Some people are really good with action or description, so of course. They do more of that. Some people are best with a flowery, poetic prose style. Some people are better with a spare, more Hemingway-esque prose style. You just got to experiment and try stuff and see what works for you. You know, that's that's a fabulous point. I didn't think we'd get to this today. But I noticed when in DACA, you, you mean you just bam, hit it, boom, 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 boom. There is description. I mean, there's a you know, graphic description of the bar, but, you know, you're using, you know, you don't go for, you, you, I found you very much like Hemingway in the sense, short sentences to the mm-hmm. point, move the action. Right. And, um, and it's great to see that, that, you know, how successful you be, you have become with that style. It doesn't have to be, I think a lot of writers will read something by one of the classics and go, Oh, I can't write like this and then not go forward. But, it's important to know that you can tell, and that's what you say in the, the Red Sneaker series, tell the story. The story is what's paramount, not the descriptions, et cetera, et cetera. Right, and I, it's important to me anyway to not get in the way of the story. Although it's funny you mentioned that book because, uh, for instance, you remember the antagonist who's taking his cues from Edgar Allan Poe so I tried to give him, both in his thoughts and dialogue, kind of Poe's vocabulary, which, of course, was quite elaborate and lots of $10 words and obviously right. very sophisticated. And I have readers who complained about that. Oh, I had to keep looking up words. <laughs> in fact, there's a reviewer you can of my newest novel, The Game Master. They go to Amazon where, you know, there's always a good review and a bad review at the top of the page. And bad review says, I didn't like this book. He used too many hard words. <laughs> oh, boy. And, you know, at the bottom it says, uh, did you find this review helpful? Yes or no? And I thought that was irritating, but my sweet mother wife said, no, no, save it. You know, you, no matter what, you've got to have a bad review at the top of the page. So let it be the guy, you know, <laughs> has vocabulary issues rather than somebody who, you know, has a real problem with the book. <laughs> and she was right. Exactly. He he didn't realize he was giving you a backhanded compliment. <laughs> this guy's exactly. smart. I don't like him. He's yeah. too smart. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, like a, like the five star review. I hate this guy, and I knew exactly what she was talking about. I was like, ah, I was so happy in my la la land of just writing for you know, in seeing where the story would go, and now I gotta sit down and really think this thing through. And right. um, now, my all time favorite Amazon review uh, uh, I saw recently for a, a book I did for young readers. 
Augustus. It's a biography of Ada Lois Sipuel. The, I saw that the average had plummeted. I so I looked down at the Star Review, and that which is the lowest you can give on Amazon. Text of the review was, I didn't mean to get this book. I ordered it by mistake, so I didn't read one ah! star. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the author's fault. <laughs> yes, anyone can review on Amazon. <laughs> Gotta not take it too seriously. Oh, you know, getting back to the work component, um, I saw the movie Hemingway and, well, who was his wife um, at the end? Well, he had several. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but the sure. last one, um, and she was also a writer. She was a world correspondent, war, war correspondent. And uh, of Gelhorn, I think. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's a great movie with Clive Owens, and I forget who the female, but there's a scene where he, um, and it really struck me. He, she wakes up, they're partying like crazy, either in Cuba or the keys. And she wakes up and she looks at him and he's standing up. And I guess that's how he wrote. He stood up at his, um, you know, his little bureau or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, uh, she says to him, you know, Ernest, Oh, she's got a hangover. She's all messed up. And he says, she says, what time is it? He goes, it's noon. And he says, get up and start writing. <laughs> and she <laughs> says, noon. She says, what time were you up? He goes, six. She says, Ernest. She says, we drank two bottles of wine and a bottle of brandy. <laughs> she says, how did you get up at six? He says, six. He says, I learned something. He says, writing is yeah. no, no more than bleeding at the typewriter. Yeah. And he says, get up and write. He was probably more used to it than she was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and the other one was Sylvia Plath, and um, the, the, her story, the, there was a movie made of that. And In fact, Daniel Craig was, um, James Bond was the uh, husband. And he's a world-famous poet. He's doing really well. And she, that of course, that was her, her mission. And so he comes home to get married, and he comes home, and she's baking cookies. And, she, you know, she's got this great little house thing going. He's going, what are you doing? And she says, you know, well, you're the one making all the money, and you're the one who's a great writer. Well, I figure, and he goes, no. He says, there's no magic to this. You've got to write every single day. And that was the turning point for her. And so, you know, here's Hemingway saying, it's bleeding at the typewriter, and Plath's husband saying, there's no magic here. Just write. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of truth in that, and nice coming from tattoos. I assume it's based on some kind of truth. He was also a very successful poet, eventually poet laureate. Uh, probably, how could you not be slightly edited, uh, irritated when post-suicide became popular with a lot of people? But he was a very fine poet. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, well, you've done the gamut. I mean, you've um, y- here you're writing these great crime thrillers, these psychological thrillers, is, um, and then you, you write poetry and you also write children's books. Right. I mean, that's an amazing leap. That's a talks about a spectrum. Right. 
Well, the poetry took some, you know, I've always loved poetry and always written it, but to publish it when, as you say, you're primarily known as a thriller writer, uh, I just don't know how this is going to go over. <laughs> so, yeah. But I started putting it out and getting it in magazines and literary journals and whatnot on on the QT. Uh, and it seemed to be well received. So I eventually put together a book and someone published it. And I have to been enormously satisfying to see people. You know, it's so easy to be snobby in this profession and put people down for one reason or another. But people have been exceptionally kind about that poetry book. I've just had some heart swelling notices. Made me very glad I did it. Another one in Great. And and about the kids' books. Yeah, yeah. Also also equally fun. Well, I just, uh, you know, I did a book called Shine, which is basically a young adult novel involving young women with extraordinary powers, which I just thought would be fun. I had an idea for one and thought, I'm just going to run with this, and and was very pleased with the way it turned out. And I did one last year called The Black Century, and did a picture book. You know, I always, even at the very beginning, when I told you I was fortunate to get my first book published and it was successful from the get-go, and I lucky was to have a series character that the publisher wanted to see more of, but I still was not content just doing the same thing over and over again, even though from a commercial standpoint, that's the smartest thing to do, you know, have a predictable product that people look forward to that's what publishers want but i i always wanted to do different and i don't think that makes me better or worse than anything else that's just i felt like i could do different things and i wanted to so my third book of buddyhood which is you know essentially literary fiction not at all what <laughs> the publisher particularly wanted publisher uh-huh. um, and even uh, on it sure i would uh, habitually in my contracts agree to more Ben Kincaid not they'd let me do something else yeah but you know that's how I got to do Dark Eye that's how I got to do Nemesis which you know now people are trying to turn into a miniseries so I don't have any regrets about that wow now um, yeah again it's just been an amazing journey how many hours a day do you do you write it just depends on me but for the heart. Uh, you know, sometimes will happen. Mm-hmm. But I still think it's important, even if you're just sitting down for uh, two hours or even one, really, uh, you know, take that. Uh, I've raised kids and I've, you know, laptops are very portable. I've written at the shopping mall. <laughs> I've right. Written right. At the right. hospital or mm-hmm. the doctor's yep. office is take the time you can get and Right, exactly. Well, um, again, I'm so honored. I'm blown away. I, I'm so glad that we made this connection. Uh, well, I enjoyed it. Well, thank you. And I, I, <laughs> again, I, 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 you know, from the from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for you know m- making this connection and for finding you and for, for you, you're doing. <laughs> fabulous work i mean this is the kind of thing that will you know 
live a long time because if anybody's got any kind of uh, um, wants to, you know, is on a search for what is the meaning of life, and though you're not going to, at least you've moved me further down the path and saying, wow, don't you see it? It's all one big story. And in that story, mm-hmm. there's adversity and there's conflict. And it's all there for a reason. It's not senseless that those things are the challenges you have to find that hero within. And instead of complaining about it and feeling like you're, you're simply a victim, you can use all of those things and really create a master story. Mm. Well, I want to thank you. There's nothing... I've been hearing that your work has gone out and done what it was supposed to do. <laughs> I've enjoyed this talk enormously. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, I hope we can do it again. I would be happy. Thank you, William, uh, Bill, and uh, listen. Uh, f- by the way, where are you? You're in. Are you in Oklahoma? Is that where you live? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. and what uh, what town? I'm in the south. Oklahoma City. Uh, oh, okay. I moved back here a few years ago. My parents are still here, and uh, I keep a closer eye on them. But I really enjoy it here, and we've right. got a nice home, and um, so it's it's a good place to be. Well, you know, one of the things I found that since I've been expressing myself, it really doesn't matter where you are because you have this whole world, don't you, where you jump in and <laughs> you're entertained by. Uh, and you visit th- this other place. So no matter where you are, there, where you go, there you are, I guess. Yeah, well, technology has made it so. And it's, of course, from the standpoint of being a writer, it doesn't matter where you live now. If you have an Internet connection, you can do exactly. anything you want to do. Exactly. And, you know, I think what I'd like to, you know, I'm always telling children to write, 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 write. No matter if you like to write, write anything because you don't know what that habit, what that practice will, everybody has a story and everybody has something to say. And especially with the internet, you can make a YouTube video, you can sing something, you can, uh, you know, write a poem and put it out there for people to see. And you just never know what will happen or where it will happen. But it's a, exactly right. Yeah. And writing is a beautiful process in and of itself, whether you decide to write the book or not, but, you know whether and and whether or not you get published, isn't it great to think that you you know did see, leave some kind of a legacy, you know something tangible that people can pick up and say, oh, you know this is this person's story. Yep, that's right. right. Um, books have changed the face of the world, and they will again. And nobody yeah. knows which book it will be, but uh, you know I'm going to do the best work I can just in case. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that, 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 you know, with all of the technology, people say, well, people aren't reading anymore. And you made it very clear in the Red Sneaker series. No, that's not true. That there will always be the need for a great book. Yeah, I agree. I think that's true. Right. Well, again, Bill, thank you so much. Let's, uh, let's do this again. And I'll, uh, great. Yeah, and, you know, you are a great guy because you're accessible. I mean, most authors you can't reach. And you invite, even looking down on, on the uh, books section of your website, you're telling people, hey, you know, write me an email. Tell me what you thought, you know. And, you know, that's uh, <laughs> I love that's to hear huge. from readers. Yeah. No, that's, that's, you huge. know, critics are too often 
you know, people are getting paid. They may or may not have read the book. But when I hear something back from readers, I pay attention because they're the people who I'm writing for. Well, it's like any good business. They're your clients and they're the customer. Exactly. exactly. Well, great. Well, anybody who's listening today and listens in the future, because this is a one of the best podcasts that I've ever done. And um, the author is William Bernhardt. His, uh, his website is William Bernhardt, D-E-R-N-H-A-R-D-T.com. Go there. The books are amazing. The website's fantastic. And, Please download uh, from Audible or wherever you can get them the Red Sneaker series because you're in for a, a real treat and a real uh, introspection and uh, ability to see life in a different way and make your life a lot better, I think. Hey, Bill, thanks so much. Thank you. Have a beautiful weekend. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. And that's it. This is Update. Tom Hayes on uh, Saturday, September 25th. What happened to uh, September? But thank you so much, everybody, tuning in. Uh, See you next time. Thanks.